Welcome back to the Pacific Century, a Hoover Institution podcast on China, America, Asia, and the fate of the Indo-Pacific in the 21st century. I'm your host, Misha Oslin, and I am very pleased today to be joined by two old friends to talk about a topic we, we haven't covered quite as much on the podcast, and yet one that needs a great deal of discussion, and that is South Korea. Last week, South Korea held a presidential election. The uh, transition will occur soon, and uh, there are great changes afoot. So we need to understand what that means for the United States, uh, for the U.S.-Korea alliance, uh, for relations with Japan, China, and the broader world. And there are no better people to try and explain all of that uh, to us than my two guests today. Uh, my first guest is Gi Wook Shin, who is the William J. Perry Professor of Contemporary Korea in Sociology at Stanford University, a senior fellow of the Freeman Spogli Institute, and the director of the Walter H. Shorenstein Asia Pacific Research Center since 2005. Uh, author of numerous books, uh, well-known both here and in Korea and throughout Asia, uh, and a leading political sci- uh, sociologist, sorry, leading sociologist on Korean democratic issues and Korean politics. Uh, my second guest is Kathy Stevens, who many of you in the Washington area will know, uh, ambassador, retired Kathleen Stevens, is the president of the Korea Economic Institute uh, and CEO as well, which she took that post in September of 2018. Um, Ambassador Stevens, Kathy to her friends, was a career diplomat in the United States Foreign Service uh, from 1978 to 2015. Uh, she also was the U.S. ambassador to the Republic of Korea from 2008 to 2011, um, the first woman and the first Korean speaker from the United States to serve in that position, in addition to all of her other positions around the world, as well as other positions in the State Department, uh, including acting Undersecretary of State for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, and working as well on the National Security Counter. Uh, National Security Council. So I could go on and on about both Kathy and Giwook, but we need to get right into it. So Ambassador Kathleen Stevens, Professor Giwook Shin, welcome to the Pacific Century. Thank you, Misha. Thank you. Great to be with you. Well, I'm great. it's really wonderful to have you you both uh, here. I've, I've obviously known you for a long time, even though I'm not a Korea specialist, and you guys have been among the most active doing uh, not only research, but doing policy programming on the Korean relationship. And I would say it's something that, again, that as I started off with, not a lot of folks um, know necessarily about South Korea, as many as should, outside mm-hmm. of the Korea watcher community. So I want to start, Giwook, with you and ask you about the election. Um, Let's make it a 101, uh, you know, an introductory course. Who won? uh, Who is he? Where did he come from? And what's he going to do? Well, first of all, I'm very glad to uh, talk about South Korea. Uh, As you know, oftentimes it is North Korea that gets most attention uh, in this country, especially in Washington. And uh, as you know, uh, Mr. Yoon Sung Yeol won the election by a but you know by a very thin margin, less than one percent. Wow! It was a really uh, close uh, election. 
Is that the closest and, uh, in, in Korean history, by the oh, way? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> it's a little over, <clears throat> a little over only you know, 200,000 uh, votes. So it's very close. Wow. And uh, Mr. Yoon, of course, uh, very well known inside Korea, but relatively unknown outside of Korea. And frankly speaking, uh, five years ago, Okay, no one would have expected uh, him to be next president. So it's a really uh, amazing uh, in a story. And you know, Yoon was a career uh, prosecutor. Okay, so you know, five years ago, uh, he was only I would say in a mid uh, senior level uh, prosecutor. But then uh, he got the promotion uh, by President Moon Jae-in to lead the Seoul District uh, Office of uh, Prosecution. And uh, Mr. Yoon uh, led uh, this campaign to eradicate uh, deep-rooted evil in Korea. This was a major uh, political campaign that that the Moon Jae-in government led uh, in his early years of office. And I think about two years later, uh, you know, Yoon uh, was promoted to prosecutor general. So uh, basically, uh, you know, Yoon was basically a Moon Jae-in's, you know, person, okay, to lead uh, political reform. But when uh, <clears throat> he began to uh, investigate uh, some uh, wrongdoings of uh, Moon's people, especially uh, a new Minister of Justice, uh, Jogu, then uh, he got into you know trouble, you know, uh, you know fighting so, uh, with the ruling ruling party or ruling bloc. Okay, so he was under pressure, and then uh, he resigned, and then he entered the politics uh, last summer. And so his his party is which party? And then uh, he uh, okay, ran uh, the election uh, <clears throat> representing the main opposition party. The Conservative Party. Correct. So he, he's never had national level exper- electoral experience. He's never been elected. He hasn't been a mayor. He hasn't been a, a, uh, a legislator. Right. So he has no experience uh, in assembly. Uh, he was never elected to any public office. Uh, once again, he was career bureaucrat, uh, career uh, prosecutor. Uh, he entered politics only last summer. So that's wow. why it's very remarkable that he became new president uh, for South Korea. So what are the expectations for him? What what was, first of all, what was, can you explain a little what was his um his platform. What what is he running on, or what did he run on and win very narrowly? And what are the expectations for someone who's never governed? Okay, so uh, I think when I was watching uh, this election, uh, it reminds me of uh, uh, U.S. election in 2020. Okay, so here, uh, Mr. Biden, he led a coalition of, uh, I guess, anti-Trump, you know, forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some similar way, in Korea, uh, there are strong public sentiment uh, to change you know, power. So if you're looking at uh, public polls, uh, you know, entering you know, in an election, okay, more than uh, 50% uh, 
uh, of the people, you know, wanted to regime change. Okay, so uh, I think Yun was seen as the best person uh, to change power uh, from the democratic to uh, people's uh, power, you know, party basically. So uh, that's why in the in the campaign uh, it was highly negative. It was basically uh, maintaining power while changing power. Yeah, not much uh, discussion about policy or other issues. Kiwook, is this the first time that in Korea that someone who has not had national or even extensive local electoral experience has been elected president? Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to imagine that in any democratic country, right, uh, Korea bureaucrat entering politics uh, only a few months before election and becomes you know, new president. So it, it's, it's really unusual, not only for Korea, but I guess for any other uh, democratic country. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I'm not uh, a political scientist, but you know, I think obviously we had Trump in America who had never had any electoral experience. Uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody will. I, I think Macron in France didn't have any uh, political experience before he was a bureaucrat, but I think he didn't have any political experience before coming in. Of course, we're watching Zelensky in Ukraine, who was a comedian beforehand. You've had it in Italy. Um, it's actually a quite interesting phenomenon that we won't talk about because we're here to talk about Korea, but it is something It is something to note that Korea is now uh, maybe entering a, um, uh, you know, a, an experimental phase with him. So, um, no, Misha, I was going to say, I, I had I yeah, Kathy, this all to an American friend of mine who doesn't uh, follow Korean politics very closely and a uh, description, not as eloquent as Giyuk's, but along those lines. And and his response, of, is that, he said, it sounds like uh, James Comey was running for president and won. <laughs> uh, so I, analogies are never precise, but that's that's sort of in the ballpark. Well, that, that's that, that's really uh, interesting, and I wonder if um, maybe Kathy, in your view, and I was gonna I was gonna ask you about foreign policy, but since you um, you jumped in uh, on this, which I appreciate, um, is obviously Korea went through a very wrenching uh, impeachment uh, of a former president. Um, there was a lot of dissatisfaction uh, against against her, and is is this you know is that what Yoon is 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 tapping into? Is there still a lot of social dissatisfaction um, from, you know, from the recent past in in Korean political history? Well, you know, I I think after the impeachment, as you mentioned, of of Park Geun-hye and then the election of the still incumbent president, Mr. Moon, in 2017, which happened in a special election, right, Uh, Right. uh, unscheduled, expectations were really high of Mr. Moon. And I think it was very hard for him to, in fact, impossible for him to meet those expectations. I think as Giyuk has suggested in this election, by this time, people were kind of burnt out and expectations are actually pretty low, which which might play into uh, President-elect Yoon's uh, favor, if you like, uh, because again, as, as Giyuk said, both both Mr. Yoon and his opposition candidate were, were called the unlikables. Uh, and and oh, both had, had, had personal scandals, which uh, loomed in the background and, and still may loom ahead. So there, there was all that. But, uh, but I think the other thing I, w- I would add to Geek's excellent description is you had a, a generational sort of uh, coming of age here, too, in terms of, of especially people in their 20s and 30s who are no longer identifying. They had supported uh, the, the 
Progressive Party, the Democratic Party, uh, the last couple of elections, including after the impeachment, they had flipped and started to to, to uh, support uh, conservative candidates in some local by-elections last year. That was a sign that they were disillusioned with what the progressives had been able to accomplish or not accomplish, especially on things like, I guess, opportunities for the younger generation. You know, some of the issues we hear about in this country, inequality, a sense that there was a lack of fairness and opportunity in a very, very competitive society. So Yoon got, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a more complicated story and maybe more details, but but Yoon really tried to appeal to those 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 young people, especially young men in their twenties and thirties, and he got the men. And in some ways, that was the uh, that was the swing vote. Well, it's interesting because what what you're saying, I mean, really seems to have striking parallels with us and 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 with parts of Europe that sense of alienation dissatisfaction swinging back the um the unlikables i mean that's how people describe both our 2016 and our 2020 elections you know from both sides you know neither neither of the candidates in either of those elections was particularly uh appealing to lots of people and yet of course um mr yun does not clearly does not have a mandate is that giwook is that going to make it more difficult for him to govern so uh, can you explain, by the way, was this an election only for the president or was it also for the legislature? What, how is the legislature split? Is it a majority conservative party, majority reform party? What does he face in the governing process? Uh, right. So as Cassie mentioned, uh, you know, expectation is fairly low. <laughs> so when Moon Jae-in got into office, uh, his rating was like 70, 80 percent. And right now, you know, less than half of Korean people expect uh, him to do well. So, you know, obviously this opinion is about maybe him, but also a uh, larger political environment, okay? Because uh, for one thing, uh, Korea is uh, highly polarized. I mean, that was reflected in the thin margin of victory. And opposition, yeah. yeah, and yeah, and opposition uh, controls uh, National Assembly. I mean, they control almost like uh, two thirds uh, of the seat uh, in the Assembly, and so I think you know, you know he's facing you know, a big challenge uh, in making uh, key appointments and implementing uh, you know major policies. So once again, uh, he's a political novice. Uh, whether he can navigate uh, this uh, difficult political situation. I mean, that's a big question mark uh, for him and for Korea. So uh, that's why I'm too optimistic. I'm not too optimistic about uh, the future of Korean you know, democracy or politics, uh, because it's just so such a highly polarized and divisive uh, you know, environment. And you know, Yoon will face get a lot of challenges uh, in his office. So before I turn to Kathy, because I want to ask a, a little bit about his um, foreign policies, which obviously concern us. Uh, Giwook, just a quick question to you on his his support within his own party. As you said, he wasn't even in politics until a few months ago. Uh, he's obviously not been a party apparatchik or insider or built up a power base within um, uh, the, the party. So d- does he have the full support of the party? Is he going to face actual opposition within his own party? Uh, I think right now he has, uh, you know, full support, okay, uh, because uh, he was able to change, you know, power. Uh, you know, otherwise, I don't think uh, opposition would have taken the power. So right now, 
uh, he has uh, you know full support, support uh, in in the party, but then uh, once again uh, whether he can perform, okay, <clears throat> you know well enough to uh, sustain his support. I mean that's a big question mark, and uh, I think some of uh, you may be following that uh, you know he wanted to move uh, in a blue house. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, actually, you know, he's uh, Blue House office. is the equivalent of the White yeah. House for those right, who don't. Right. So know. his office and residency out of Blue House uh, to uh, downtown Seoul, and you know he's already uh, facing a lot of opposition, and then people wonder whether uh, he just made you know by himself or he has any due process to consult you know other people. So. Uh, in my view, it was a little uh, strategic mistake by focusing on the move of his office and residency from the house. And then because uh, there isn't much other discussion about other than, you know, about this move. Okay, so uh, is, it really, is it really in a setting the agenda uh, in the right way? I mean, that's a big, uh, big question. So we, we should note that he doesn't take power until May. He won't become May 9, president. Yeah, May 9 or 10, yeah. May, May, May 10th, 10, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, and he's also 61 years old. So he's, you know, he's he's not young, but he's not he's not that old, uh, certainly compared to, you know, the, the, the folks that are running our country and, you know, have. So, you know, but he's, he's about the same age as the Japanese prime minister. So it seems to be. Um, you know, right in that 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 period, but he hasn't, as you mentioned, he's sixty, but he's never had, as we've been talking about, never had a uh, political experience before. So, um, policies are obviously ultimately what we care about. So, Kathy, I'd like to ask you a little bit um, about his policies, um, and particularly the foreign policies, because again, um, it's been a a um, uh, the current president, Moon Jae-in, has had a, a uh, I think, what most would describe as a more left-leaning policy. Uh, certainly, there was a, a great deal of attempt to um, engage with North Korea. And by the way, we will talk a little bit about North Korea later in the podcast. Um, uh, there were certainly tensions uh, between uh, Korea and Japan, to put it mildly, but tensions between Korea and the U.S. as well. So what did Yoon... Uh, propose what was his platform during the election what are his policies on foreign policy going to be and and what should we expect yeah well i want to say first off and there are a lot of people both in korea and i think in the u.s who might disagree with me but since you asked me i want to say i i think that there is actually more continuity in with respect to south korean foreign policy than sometimes is apparent during during election seasons and indeed in just political rhetoric that's not unique to south korea uh, but over time, uh, with a lot of ups and downs along the way, uh, we've seen South Korean presidents uh, have priorities which are based on their perception of interests and their own history. And it does have to do with the alliance with the United States, its geopolitical position, the desire for both defense, but also reconciliation with North Korea and so on and so forth. So, But, without, but within that context, yes, I think one is important to, to note that, uh, that Mr. Yoon has no record on foreign policy at all. Um, he, as far as I know, not that this is a requirement, uh, he has spent no substantial amount of time outside of Korea. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he's, as, um, as Giuk said, he's a, a lifelong prosecutor. Uh, he actually spent nine years studying to pass the bar exam, but that's another sort of side <laughs> story that maybe says something about the exam culture in South Korea. 
I was going to ask, is that, is that normal to spend it's nine on years? The, it's on the long side. It's not unique. It's on the long okay. side. Sure, certainly shows persistence and perseverance. Right. He never gave up. <laughs> that's, that's a good optimistic reading. Side. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, but he ran uh, as a representative of the, of the party, which has changed name over the years, but generally called right. the Conservative Party and is generally self-identified and identified within Korea and, and by Americans who follow Korea as the party that does tilt to the more uh, prioritizing the U.S.-Korea uh, relationship, a strong alliance, security, defense relationship, and uh, is a, a little bit tougher on North Korea. Again, one could find exceptions within the administrations of successive presidents, but that's, that's kind of what he ran on. And I would say that uh, although he did not talk a lot about it, uh, I, I think the foreign policy did play a bit of an issue in, in the election because during the period of the, the campaign, which you know doesn't last as long as ours do, but I mean, essentially the nominees were, were identified last what, November, I guess. So there were several months. Uh, you had the shifting geopolitical atmosphere of, uh, I guess I wouldn't call the Beijing Olympics a shifting political geopolitical atmosphere, but you had uh, some dust up at the Olympics over everything from refereeing to the costumes that uh, Chinese you know, delegates you know, wore in the uh, opening ceremony ceremony and so on and so forth. And that tapped into what already exists in Korea, which is shown by public opinion polling, a growing suspicion and worry about China's assertiveness. So I think that played into some of the undecided, if you like, voters' thoughts. And then, of course, you had Russia's invasion of Ukraine and just a sense that the geopolitical space in which a country like South Korea does operate uh, was becoming even more complicated and narrowing a bit. And my own view is, and I think there's a little bit of polling that might support this, is it may have kind of pushed, again, some of those undecided votes in this very, very close election, especially among the younger people, and, and a sense that maybe with North Korea, right, the softer line hadn't worked. It's time for something a little tougher to to uh, Mr. Yoon. So I think he's coming into office uh, with with those those ideas and those priorities. Uh, he is certainly expected to rely on the the pretty large and established stable of of foreign policy and alliance experts in South Korea. Many of them come out of academia and good Confucian tradition. Uh, for example, uh, we expect here in Washington to uh, to be welcoming a delegation of about eight or nine people next week. This is his first delegation that he sent abroad. A pretty common thing to do uh, to begin to uh, kind of introduce, if you like, the new unit administration, not with official positions, but just as his representatives and to get a sense of thinking in Washington. I think they'll be warmly welcomed. It's notable if, you know, if personnel is policy. I mean, it's notable that uh, again, these are all well known to the Washington establishment and beyond. I'm sure Giyuk, like me, knows, I mean, I'm, you know, all of them personally. Uh, but there's a Japan expert, a China expert, uh, some alliance experts, a retired military officer, and so forth. So I think. Can you tell us who's. Could, could you actually tell us who some of them are? Yeah, well, actually, the Japan expert is. Uh, Pak Chori from uh, Seoul National University. Uh, the China expert is Chung Chung. Help me. Uh, for also from Chung, SNU. Chung Jeho. Okay, Chung thank Jeho. you. Yeah, yeah. For also from SNU. Uh, Pak Jin is leading the delegation. Who's a well-known America specialist as uh, and a mm-hmm. National Assemblyman, uh, and uh, and a retired general who worked closely on with U.S. forces Korea and on the alliance. So that's the group that's coming. 
Uh, and I think that they are going to signal that, yes, they want to deepen cooperation. Uh, they are going to make clear that if there's a tilt to be made, I mean, the, the tilt has already been made. I mean, South Korea's only alliance is with the United States, but they're going to leave you know, no one in any doubt about that. I have to say, I mean, it's against the backdrop of President Biden having had a very successful summit with President Moon a year ago and issuing, and that's why I say I think it's more bipartisan than sometimes politics uh, acknowledges, but they issued a very uh, comprehensive statement, which, again, I, I mentioned not just to kind of defend, if you like, the previous administration, but to say that Yoon has the the, the political and public space here, I think, to really uh, make this emphasis on, on even deepening even further uh, the, uh, uh, the alliance and, uh, and working together. Now, that's all good rhetoric. I mean, when it comes down to the choices, I mean, the choices for Korea remain very challenging. And I, you know, I think that that will pose a, a you know, challenges for Yoon. Uh, I, certainly, I think, and we, you, you mentioned uh, relations with Japan, for example. Uh, that's one in which I am, and I'm interested in what Gia has to say about this. I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic. One should never be optimistic, I guess, about 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 Korea-Japan relations, but just having a new person in office can help sometimes. Yoon understands how important and how much a priority the U.S. places on it. Uh, again, I think polling, especially among the younger generation, shows the younger generation is perhaps a little bit less uh, uh, sensitive to to some of the historic. Well, I shouldn't say less sensitive to the historical issues. I'm sensitive to what I say, but but you know, have a little bit don't attach such a high priority to that. But it will take some action in Tokyo, I think, or at least uh, some some room in Tokyo to find a way to to get onto a more cooperative basis. So, but I do I do expect to see you know some sort of symbolic gesture anyway to. Uh, to try to improve things. But when it really gets down to specifics, uh, you know, Mr. Yoon and his advisors will face the tough choices that every Korean administration does. Uh, if, for example, they, I'm just giving a couple of examples here, uh, follow through on on uh, uh, the president-elect's pledge that he might look at uh, further missile defense uh, for mm -hmm. South Korea. And indeed, you know, South Korea is developing its missiles too, whether it's in their own missile or in cooperation with the United States. Uh, they will have to be sensitive to the response uh, from China, uh, and uh, and and when it comes to issues like the Quad uh, and how uh, how how the South Korea participates in that, uh, again, uh, Mr. Yoon has shown that he wants to lean forward more on that. But uh, there there was so a watchful me... eye to how China reacts to that. Yeah, let me let me ask um, before I because I, I want to get back to Giwook on on some questions. But let me ask first about so I was going to ask about Japan. I'm glad you brought that up. So let me ask first whether you think there is going to be room or whether what you've heard from the Biden administration on a push to take advantage here on closer trilateral cooperation between Tokyo, Seoul, and Washington, number one. Uh, and then second, uh, exactly, on, on things like the Quad or uh, CPTPP, the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, whether South Korea will be making more of a push to try and get included in those. What, what's your take on that, Kathy? Yeah, well, on the second one, first on the CPTPP, the Moon administration said they were going to apply to join it, um, and and I, I, yeah, I expect that uh, the UN administration will 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 try to move forward with that. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know how that will be received. I mean, Misha, you might have some insights on that uh, in, in in Tokyo and elsewhere, but I do expect that. 
Um, and yeah, I, def- I definitely expect the Biden administration to make a push. I mean, they tried it with President Moon, you know, when she, they, they, they tried very hard to have some kind of trilateral summit, you know, something that would show some some commitment at the top and then hope to work out these issues. And I certainly expect whether, uh, you know, I'm getting into kind of the nitty gritty of the, how the, the diplomacy now, but, you know, if President Biden makes a trip in the spring, I understand. And again, I'm not privy to any anything that I can spill the beans on in Washington, but, uh, you know, clearly there's there's talk about, President Biden making his still be his first trip to Asia, but scheduling in an election year here is very difficult. Uh, but I would I would uh, completely expect that uh, some kind of real push on 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 demonstrating a commitment on all sides to improve the trilateral relationship would be uh, at the very top of uh, uh, or very uh, yeah very near the top of, a, of an American agenda. Um, I do worry a little bit. I'm, all I have to do is pick up the paper. I mean, uh, and this morning, I think, or uh, in, in South Korean uh, newspapers, there were reports that, you know, there were some Japanese history textbooks, quite a few of them that had gone back to earlier and less good language on the description of the the uh, employment of, of sex slaves, comfort women by the Japanese military. These are new, new textbooks. New, uh, revised textbooks. So as as reported by the Korean press, you know, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I haven't looked into right. it. But, you know, these kinds of things can always make things go uh, south again, go haywire. But uh, but certainly the push will be there. And I think Yoon would would very much like 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 to see that happen. And I think actually in Giyuk, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. I think I think most of the Korean public would like to see it. I think they know things have gone too far. And as they look at the challenge from China, they look at their defense challenges, they look at the need to strengthen the alliance. They know they need to fix the relationship with Japan. Yeah, Guy, what, what's your take uh, on that? Yeah, yeah, can I add maybe a couple of points? Uh, Please. Uh, as Cassie mentioned, uh, you know, Yuni sending in a fairly large delegation to Washington uh, next week. And, you know, this is somewhat unusual uh, because, uh, you know, in the past, uh, new president-elect, they do sending a delegation to, you know, four countries, the U.S., uh, China, Japan, Russia, okay? But this time, only sending to United States. Not only that, also, as Cassie mentioned, okay, they include, the delegation includes you know, China experts and Japan experts. Okay, so uh, I thought that's a very interesting, you know, somewhat unusual, uh, given what they've done uh, in the past. Okay, that's one. Uh, the other one, uh, as Kathy mentioned, uh, Yun doesn't have any you know, foreign policy record. So the, I think the main thing is uh, who's going to advise okay, Yun on foreign policy. And now, uh, conservatives are back to power, so naturally they will turn to either Bakune or Imyongbak people, right? Just like uh, uh, United States. And, you know, Bakune was impeached. And Yun is basically, you know, turning to uh, Imyongbak people. These, so, these we example, should note, are two former conservative presidents, right, which now right. called the so, Power Party. So, for example, like uh, there are two key people in transition team. Uh, one is Kim Song Han, uh, who's very close, I guess, friend of Yun, but also uh, he was a vice minister of foreign affairs under Imyongbak government. And the other one, uh, Kim Tae-hyo, uh, who was a key person advising President Im Myung-bak in, in Blue House. And now, uh, as Cassie mentioned, uh, Park Jin, who's leading delegation to Washington next week, uh, he was also uh, in transition team for Im Myung-bak. Okay, so 
Okay, these are you know more or less you know close to what uh, you know you know Imyung Bak's uh, you know foreign policy, and of course uh, that's uh, like what you know more than like you know, more than ten years ago. So things have changed a lot. So I don't say they will repeat what Imyung Bak has done, but I think still it will give us some you know some idea about you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Okay, now uh, going back to uh, you know you know Kathy's point about uh, uh, Korea Japan relationship, uh, it's always a difficult one. But uh, uh, I agree with Kathy that now a lot of people in Korea feel that they went too far, and too far against of, Japan. Yeah, against Japan. So I think there will be efforts uh, to improve. Uh, relationship with Japan, uh, you know, by the new government. I mean, there's no question. But I think uh, probably the most challenging, you know, policy issue for Yun is to deal with China. Okay, I was going to ask you about China. I wanted to hear yeah, what you thought yeah, about because, China uh, you know, for, for example, like uh, you know, now there's very really strong uh, anti-China sentiment in the Korean public, even you know, even worse than uh, anti-Japanese sentiment. Which is very unusual. Also, ongoing tension between uh, U.S. and China, right? So, how to navigate uh, this uh, ongoing tension? And also, I think even uh, this Ukraine you know, situation has affected uh, Korea, you know, somewhat indirectly, but still important because now uh, it's becoming clear that you know Russia, China, they're on, on the one side, mm-hmm. and you know Korea will be under pressure. To take a position because until now uh, they were sort of taking uh, strategic ambiguity. Uh, it may be uh, more challenging or difficult to continue. So they will be under pressure to take more side with the U.S. and West, maybe joining Quad and so on. But at the same time, uh, China remains you know, a very important uh, economic part, in you know, a partner for Korea. So you can uh, ignore or you can. Uh, discount China either, right? So, so I think you know, for me, uh, you know, election of Yun uh, may be good news for United States and Japan, but then you know, dealing with China will be a major, major policy challenge uh, for Yun. And I think, and I hope that China needs to recognize and try to work with uh, new government in Seoul. So, there's another major challenge in addition to China, and that's North Korea. And both of you have spent a lot of time working on North Korea. Um, Giwook as a scholar, and and Kathy as a as a diplomat, and 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 now a now a scholar. So um, let me ask you a little bit about where things stand with North Korea. Obviously, we've had missile launches uh, over the past months. There was report of a of a major new ballistic intercontinental ballistic missile that's now being questioned. Um, but clearly, um, every uh, U.S. administration, of course, has failed to solve the North Korea problem. Uh, but from that perspective, so have South Korean administrations. So maybe, Kathy, you could you could step back for a second and and give a, a you know a really brief recap of what the current Moon administration did in terms of North Korea, and then let's look forward uh, to talk about North Korea relations with the South under. Yoon and some of his more controversial um, statements on the campaign trail, including potentially redeploying tactical nuclear weapons on the peninsula. So let's, Kathy, if you can, could you start with Moon and what he did 
uh, vis-a-vis North Korea. Well, uh, since, since you want me to be brief, I, I just want to make one point about it at the top. <laughs> well, take your take as much time no, as you no, need. No, no, no. But I think one point at the top is that 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 Moon's term in office uh, overlapped with Donald Trump's term in office as American president, and uh, certainly Moon came to office with a background and with a determination to try to move things forward in terms of a diplomatic process and reconciliation and. Uh, uh, but he was faced with a, a, an American president and as well as testing from North Korea that led led Korea closer to war than it had been perhaps since the Korean War in that year of fire and fury. So I think right. we have to see it in that context and in the context of of President Trump's very surprising and and you know, first ever uh, uh, efforts to engage directly with with Kim Jong Un. So I, my point here is just that Moon was not the only driver in this, uh, right, in where they ended up. So I think he, uh, but he certainly uh, even after things collapsed in Hanoi, uh, he was very hopeful to try to put that back together. And he certainly, I think, was punished by the Korean electorate for. Uh, prioritizing that in the in the in the view of many over other things, and uh, and in the end failing. Maybe that's perhaps not a very good summary, but that's kind of where I I leave it. So so the mood is for I think a a kind of a, if you want to call it tougher, more principled, more uh, defense and deterrence related, and that's what uh, uh, Yoon has has promised. Um, uh, the other thing that Yoon said that got some attention on the campaign trail, and I think was a little bit. Um, concerning to some not only in Korea but in Washington was the no, uh, was the notion of uh, preemptive strikes um yes and uh you know i think we haven't heard too much about that recently uh but i i do think that uh, this is going to be an effort area where there's commitment on both sides and sounding too much like the former diplomat for Washington and Seoul to work very very closely together but we do know from experience with administrations of all stripes in both countries it's easier said than done and i would just think let's not assume that it's always if you like uh the U.S. is kind of the harder party, a more hard line, and South Korea is taking a softer line. I suppose you could say, you know, at least for the last year or so of the Moon administration, that was the case, uh, where I think there was some some skepticism, although muted uh, publicly in among, in the Biden administration, and indeed in the Trump administration, about about the Moon administration's continued desire to try to get an end of war, to try to get something, a declaration, to try to get something going, notwithstanding the signals that were were, were not coming out of Pyongyang. But now we've got we've got Kim Jong-un, who I think feels he has an external environment where he can pretty much freely continue to uh, amp up his testing and and improve his uh, uh, his nuclear deterrence, as he as he puts it, and his missile capabilities. And especially with the the U.N. hamstrung the Security Council by by international the international situation, uh, he can do it pretty cost free. That's that said, he does face, I think, still a very, very tenuous uh, and I don't mean politically unstable necessarily, but a very challenging economic and public health environment uh, at home as he has uh, self-isolated over the last three years uh, to an extent that sanctions were never able to accomplish. But coming also with that, of course, a greater dependence on China. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a challenging scenario for both Seoul and Washington and indeed Tokyo. Uh, but I think we are going to see, uh, and Giyuk mentioned Kim Tae-ho, who uh, was the North Korean 
point person, I guess you'd say, in the Emil Bach uh, administration. And uh, Emil Bach was the conservative president who was president when I was ambassador to Korea. And when we did mm-hmm. see two North Korean attacks on South Korean soil, of course, there were the, the sinking of the South Korean uh, naval vessel and then the shelling on the South Korean island. So I mentioned that just because I think that as in everyone's mind that, um, you know, we have to be ready for, I think, further Mm, you know, provocations, attacks, uh, uh, assertiveness uh, by North Korea. Uh, we do have the U.S. And, and South Korea history of working together, but that can also bring tensions and differences of approach. And one only has to read Bob Gates's memoir or Hillary Clinton's memoir. They were both in office at the time of these earlier attacks to know that um, uh, at that time, it was Seoul that wanted to take very strong action against North Korea, and it was Washington who was the restraining force. So, um, so, so I think we have to be aware that that you know we we all understand we 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 need to knit up our approaches, but in the in the challenges of the moment, it's not always you know self evident uh, uh, what the positions are going to be, uh, regardless again of who's in power in either Washington or Seoul. So um, we're, we're getting close to the end because we've been talking for a, a while, and there's actually a lot more to talk about, and I think the. Um, the, the foreign policy part that we've been talking about now is 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 particularly well. I guess heartening is sort of a, a word, you know, that I would that I would think there's there seems to be a lot of um, cautious yet real optimism, as you were saying, on the um, the side of of closer U.S. ROK relations, uh, closer potentially ROK Japan relations, trilateral, uh, and beyond that. So uh, I, I can. I think confidently predict there's going to be a flurry of activity in Washington. Um, but a lot of that also depends on the, the, the strength of the president uh, himself. And so, Giwook, as a, as a sort of wrap-up question, I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about the, the probably to Americans, rather extraordinary history of corruption at the presidential level uh, and whether, first of all, I think, is Moon going to be one of the the first recent presidents not to leave under scandal and be in threat of um, of prosecution. Uh, the, the past two, um, Pak Gehun, of course, was impeached, um, and then uh, Imung Byak as well, and before that. Uh, and, of course, there was the suicide of um, uh, Chun? No, Ro- no, Ro- yeah, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, Mignon. So, um, can you talk a little bit about what? How do you understand, as an American, how do you understand this history of corruption at the very highest level um, that has led to multiple prosecutions of, of, um, you know, of presidents in a row? Of course, I'm I'm a native Illinoisan, so we're used to that with our governors. Uh, most of them do one or two terms in office and then one term in the prison. But how does that work in South Korea? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure whether I can explain like a few sentences, but uh, yeah, one irony is that you know, Moon Jae-in uh, still maintains uh, about 40% support, uh, which is very unusual uh, for outgoing presidents. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he lost power to opposition only after five years, okay, not 10 years. And, you know, once again, you know, whether Moon Jae, uh, whether yeah, Yun Sung Yeol uh, can bring about national unity, uh, I'm fairly skeptical. And once again, uh, he'll face a lot of challenges. And, 
you know, from maybe progressive civil society as well as uh, National Assembly. And then he may get frustrated, right? And then he may uh, resort to prosecutor's power because that's the one he's uh, most familiar with. Right. And then he might uh, lead another campaign to punish uh, oppositions. I think that will uh, aggravate uh, political tensions and polarization in Korea. I mean, that's something I worry about. So, you know, obviously, uh, if you make, uh, you know, if you made any, you know, wrong thing or corruption, then uh, you have to be, you know, you know, you know, I guess, you know, you know, you know punished, uh, you know, by the law. But at the same time, uh, Korea should stop doing any political revenge. And I think that's something uh, I regret that Moon Jae-in has done. I think in early uh, years, he has a great opportunity uh, to bring national unity. But on the contrary, you know, he labels the opposition as evil mm-hmm. and try to punish. I mean, they really uh, shed a lot of bad blood. So there might be some uh, demand for political revenge by conservatives uh, who will be in power. So I really hope that, you know, Korea can stop that. And they're really trying to bring more national unity and work together. I mean, you, know, you are competing over power, but you're not really evil, right? I mean, you are still part of uh, Korean society and, you know, Korean people. So I really hope that, uh, you know, Yun can do that and opposition cooperate with the Yun uh, to stop uh, this uh, vicious cycle of uh, political revenge and punishment and so on. Well, I like that. That's a great, actually, an optimistic note to end on for national unity, for political stability, for the better angels of our nature. So I, I like that. And and I think we, you know, we've covered a lot. There's there's still more to talk about, but I think it'll be, as I said, fascinating to see how um, the Biden administration, the Yun administration, the Kishida administration all try to figure out to work together um, as uh, both of you mentioned uh, China being, uh, of course, a, a major factor here, uh, and of course North Korea. So um, there will be more to look at. I hope you guys will come back and we'll, we'll talk about things. I hope we won't face a crisis, but uh, as you said, Kathy, um, Washington and Seoul and Tokyo all need to be ready and prepared. So um, Giwok Shin of Stanford. Um, Kathy Stevens, formerly of Stanford and now of the Korea Economic Institute. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about South Korea on the Pacific Century. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So I'm Misha Oslin. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Pacific Century, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.